And welcome back to the Empire Dynasty League podcast. You are joined by your now COVID hit host, Ben, as I'm recovering here. Actually, it wasn't hit that hard, so it's been all right. But joined as always by an ever healthy Christopher Keane. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Ben. It's great to be back on the airwaves. It's been a little while in between pods, and I think it was partly due to the recovery time needed after a big sesh oh, yeah. at Scoots. Speaking of recovery, Hod, how are you doing on this uh, bit gloomy Saturday afternoon? I have not recovered from Scooters, and <laughs> yeah, not, not a picture of health today, fellas, but very happy to jump on and talk all things draft because it was an eventful evening. It was an eventful evening, uh, plenty to get through. In fact, we, uh, we've got a fair bit just to recap in our recap of the draft, Hod. And we'll, we'll try and um, make this a collected thoughts take versus the last pod that aired on this infamous channel, but we'll see how we go. The last Speaking one of, though, was the recording of the night. Are you talking about the mock draft? No, 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 no. I was, I was talking oh, you very much talking. about board. But yes. speaking of that uh, infamous night, we could put on a, a best of from that podcast. It was that good. There are that many highlights to come out of that podcast. If you haven't listened to it, and I'm sure you have, give it another go because, my God, I was on the floor <laughs> rolling with a few of Thais' thoughts in particular. It is fucking outstanding. It does make us wonder why we actually put effort into this format. <laughs> it's <laughs> a very doing the other one. It's a very good point. Ben, Ben, Ben. Um, <laughs> that is just some of the uh, quotes that we've got from the night that we could reel off here. But plenty to get through uh, from the last podcast between now and then with our news. So let's get right into it. Every newsman in this city is laughing at us, and I don't like it. All right, let's start with the biggest bit of news here, and that is dominating the NFL world, and I have no doubt will dominate the fantasy world as well, and that's Deshaun Watson. Uh, And with Hod here on the pod as the owner of Deshaun, thought it would probably be a good way to kick it off just with your thoughts on what's going on at the moment. How do you feel about what's going on? It was uh, probably, I don't know, about three weeks ago, looking pretty promising for Deshaun, and now all this news has come out which has sort of thrown a bit more of a spanner in the works. But how are you feeling about the whole thing? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously a sensitive issue. You've you got to be very careful how you want to talk about it. I, I want to talk about it from the Cleveland Browns perspective because that's where I'm a little puzzled um, with the whole thing because you'd have to think, I know there's all these reports coming out in New York Times, this and that, Um You'd have to think that the NFL and, more importantly, the Cleveland Browns had enough investigators in this for a long time, not just recently when they wanted to sign him, but for basically the whole year that he was in Houston and wanting out, um, that they knew they know what has happened or close to and they have all the information to act on, obviously, that contract. Because if it comes out that they haven't done that, this... This will be one of the biggest forms of malpractice an organisation has ever done, giving out the biggest guaranteed contract in NFL history. Um, shortly after this is all airing, and um, it, it doesn't look great, but I just you, you have to wonder that they have all the information already, and these 
these things that just keep popping up are sort of part of all that information that they have and these are more clickbait or whatever you want to call it. Um, that's the biggest thing. So it's more about the Cleveland Browns than the actual um, allegations. The other thing I find it interesting is Dee Haslam. So her and Jim obviously own the Browns and uh, she's, she's obviously a female activist on um, women in power and, and everything, the whole movement that, that we should be adopting. And it'd be very hard to believe that she has made the star quarterback with these allegations going on um, the cornerstone of their franchise moving forward without knowing exactly what's going on. So, um, and then the last thing I'll, I'll just add on to Sean, he had the opportunity to uh, settle these civil suits, the 22 of them at the time, and chose not to. So call him, have the blinkers on or whatever, but they must feel like they have a confident, they are confident with their case um, to not not settle them at the time because this could be, who knows, already gone. But they're my thoughts. What do you What do you guys think? I think, I mean, you've brought up some very interesting points there. I think the D Haslam one is probably the most interesting one that I haven't heard many people speak about. But I'd have to argue that it's an interesting move regardless of whether he is uh, found guilty or not that, if if someone is, um, you know, an activist in the space for, um, you know, respect and, and equal treatment of women, that uh, to get a QB who's got twenty, I mean, it's not like a couple of allegations. It's twenty up to twenty four now. That is, I don't know. That's an awful lot of misjudgment from one person. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm with you. I find it just really intriguing that someone would bring the face of your franchise and not just bring them in. But absolutely guarantee them a bag or beyond a bag is it's uh yeah it's quite fascinating. I don't know how this is going to play out though. I just look at it. I haven't really done much reading into it other than there are over twenty allegations against one person. That's from a probability point of view, never really a good thing. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see how it's going to play out because it doesn't seem good from the outside looking in. No, it doesn't. And it's it's interesting, isn't it? Like two weeks ago, we probably sat here and you, you would have thought, well, we're not too worried about Deshaun. He might miss three or four games, but he's probably not going to miss much of the season. Now we probably sit here thinking it looking more and more likely like a 12-month ban. Well, if Calvin Ridley's getting and, a year, well, that's, that's yeah, your benchmark, so, isn't it? If that's what we're going to treat gambling as, what yeah. are we going to treat, you know, assault that's right. and, and mistreatment of women? Yeah. And for this podcast, though, we're here to play a bit of fantasy football. So the impact from a fantasy point of view, Hod, going back to your good self, as 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 we touched on two weeks ago, you would have been like, well, he's a key part of my team. And he might, you know, I got Carson Wentz there as my third guy. I, I can ride Carson Wentz for four weeks, no problem. And then onwards and upwards with Prescott, Deshaun Watson, um, and I'm a good chance to to make some noise in my division. Has that changed the new, the recent news? Has that changed sort of your mindset? For this year and and maybe looking now towards the following year instead i'd definitely be lying if it <clears throat> hasn't changed anything um but i also sort of like the position i have with my own first round pick and steph's in the draft next year so there is the flexibility to sort of go either way um use them as assets to collect or stick it out again which would suck but i mean i you can't ignore, I took this on as a risk and it's just playing out longer than what I would like. Um, and 
yeah, the, the, it's sort of, it is what it is. I just got to deal with it. And um, luckily I have some assets there that may pay off if I choose to go another year down the bottom. Yeah. And the beauty of it looking at your team as well is that they're all young. Like and there is a lot of players that need probably a couple of years to develop anyway. So it's not like it's going to go completely against what you're trying to do. Probably just means that do you cash in on someone like Carson Wentz while he's relevant if that's the path you decide to go, but you've got that flexibility, I suppose, to compete now or to to pivot. Yeah, and, and for you, Hot, it's all about seeking clarity with Deshaun, really. You, if it's going to be a 12-month suspension, you'd rather just come out and tell me now rather than it lingering for another six months, then get suspended for 12, you know what I mean? So... Um, that can that can really define sort of what you do in the next um, you know six months or so. But as you as you touched on, I think you're in an okay position because you've got that um, fail safe plan with with your own picks and and um, and Steph's as well. So you'll be okay. All right, moving on to uh, the the loudest bloke in the league, and could I be talking about Antonio Brown or Papa in our league? Who knows? But they're linked <laughs> and they're attached to the hip, and that is Antonio Brown. Basically, it seems like he's not going to uh, be in the NFL anymore, which is probably good riddance with just how he was in the last few years. And then Papa has confirmed this by dropping him. So uh, for a bloke who was so bullish on him, he's uh, quickly dropped off. He has. And and look, this is probably um, a statement or a, a talking point for another episode. But Papa's made some moves, boys. He's, he's made seven trades since the offseason, which is... Unlike the old Pepper Springs for the last couple of years in this league, um, but he's clearly getting younger. He's added MVS, Josh Jacobs, Justin Fields. Uh, he added Hawkinson, which turned into Troutman and Ridley. So Ridley's more of a play for next year. And he's added three 2025 first to his roster um, throughout this offseason. So he's clearly building towards bringing in some youth. Um, and it's interesting to me, if you actually look, those... The guys in the window, the contenders are more willing to flip those 2025 first now. It's like a refresh of assets that they can use to get stronger now. And Papa's really been the one that's reaping the benefit of that. So he's obviously lost some older, more established players in the process. And as I said, I think we'll go through this in a bit more detail down the line. But it's uh, it's pretty clear, pre- pretty clear strategy here from the Punishers. And the, uh, the mantra of the Papa Springs is almost no more. What do you boys think? Um, yeah, he's uh, like I was just sorry, I was just checking the team. Um, because I'm thinking in my mind when you're reading that, geez, 2025 is a long way away. Um, what about the next two or three seasons before that? But he's also got the 2024 first, two first, two seconds in 2024, and he's still got a first, second, and a bunch of thirds in next year's draft. So um, yeah, not just, obviously targeting that draft three years away, but also um, got the assets in the next couple of years, which um, is important to set himself up for that year. So he could, you know, get some quarterbacks soon, um, get some wide receivers in the next couple, and then target that 2025 for the running backs, which are obviously the more bang for your buck in that coming season. So it's good that he has the assets in the years leading up to that one he's targeting as well. Yeah, absolutely. And as someone who traded those older assets with him and got him in, um, yeah, it's pretty obvious what he's doing. And and really, like, he's got to be looking at it from the point of view of that he's still able to get value out of someone like Tom Brady, who, you know, a few months ago had no value at all until he decided to throw his hat back in the ring. So he probably saw that 
as a good opportunity to cash out while he still had value. And I think he's done pretty well as a result. I just had a look. He did, what, two trades in his first year where he competed for the title and now he's done seven. Um, yep. that's, and what? How, how many months are we into the season technically since this has rolled over? Only a couple. So yep. pretty big uh, change of tact from him. So good to see. Good. I, I love seeing how teams approach different seasons. And from what we can see, probably him and Scoot are the two teams who genuinely have shown their hand that they are bottoming out. Um, it'd be interesting to see if any other teams join them at some point. But I guess uh, as far as we see it, what's that mean? Ten teams think that they're a chance to compete, which will make for an interesting season. Indeed. Sure. Um, what about some money talk there, Benny? Yeah, well, I'll just put in the Rams cap as a talking point because... I mean, we always sort of throw around, and the Saints are classic at this, Keeney, that the salary cap is a myth in the NFL and it doesn't matter. You could be bloody 20 million under the cap and then you just sort of move a few things around and all of a sudden you're 100 million in the positive or some bullshit like that. The Rams, they've just gone and they have restructured Aaron Donald. They've gone and re-signed Cooper Cup and there's even talks of Odell coming back. Aaron Donald is on QB money. They've already paid Stafford to be on QB money, and that was with the guaranteed money that I think they were offering Goff as well. I think Goff got paid $20 million last season from their cap because of his guaranteed money. Where the hell are they getting this money from, and how is this going on? Well, can I just add before our uh, um, cap expert joins the uh, talk here, but um, the, the report was when they signed Donald, that they ended up saving money on the cap for this coming season, um, which seems staggering looking from the outside. And then they've obviously done Cooper Cup as well. So any idea, Kenny, how this uh, sort of evolves um, with the cap situation? Uh, not not specifically with the Rams. Like I'm looking at sort of their cap this year. They're, they're already $2.5 million under for next year without all their players signed up. So that's obviously something they've got to do. But... Looks from a um, like it's interesting. 2024, 2024, um, Stafford's got a $49.5 million cap hit, um, and Aaron Donald's got $34 million cap hit. So that's you know, 80, <laughs> 85 million in cap hit between two players in two years' time. Now they're going to have to wiggle that around and move it around. For, for instance, like Stafford's 13 million this year, so he jumps to almost 50 million in two years' time. Um, it's for them. It's and for a lot of clubs, like from my experience in the AFL, the more you extend a player's contract, you can then blend the contracts across to the following year. You're just kicking it down the road until hopefully the CBA goes up. That's sort of what yeah. teams are doing, I reckon. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, and also in the Rams' particular situation, and I think even going to the AFL, Geelong's probably been pretty good at this over the years. Is give the players the money straight up, and then have the success because then the ball's in the organisation's court and they can sort of negotiate, well, you've got the success with us. The money's not as important. Maybe take a pay cut so we can keep stocking up and um, winning. So I don't know if that's true, but that's just where my mind goes in negotiating. I saw a thing the other day. uh, I think it was on Pat McAfee's podcast where they were talking with, I think it was the former Green Bay... um, GM or I can't remember who he was exactly, but he was talking about the cap and basically it's the ri- the richer owners have more flexibility in being able to offer 
um, more guaranteed money, which is how they can manipulate the cap a bit better. So there's, like this guy pointed out, he said basically, it's whatever you want to do. If you want to, you can sign anyone you want right now, I think was his philosophy, but it's just going to create problems for you down the road. So if you want to live in the now, which it seems like that's what the Rams are doing, it worked for them, they won a Super Bowl, let's live in the now, maybe we could get a couple and then deal with it later on, you know, maybe you bottom out and that becomes an issue for you for like five years. But if as a fan base, you don't give a shit because you've won two or three Super Bowls. I actually, I've heard that as well. And that's that's actually what the Browns were able to do with the Haslam's who are billionaires upon billionaires. But they were able to afford that, whereas the lesser teams are relying on the seasons to make their money and then be able to pay the players year by year, whereas they were able to just do that bank because they've got the bank behind them. So, it's an, yeah, it's a good point. But with, can I just go back? Can I go back to, like, in 2024, they're going to have to have a serious decision to make. So, currently their total cap is, or total cap liability is $221 million. So, keep that in mind. $221 million for the entire roster. That's 90 players. Yep. In 2024... They have six players, Donald, Ramsey, Cup, Stafford, Floyd, and Allen Robinson, combining for a $175 million. Six <laughs> players. Holy six shit. players taking up so what, 40, 80% of the cap. $45 million to spread across nine, uh, 84 players. Is that what we're yeah. talking about? So, look, they're <laughs> going to have to obviously do a bit of yeah, uh, restructures well, but gymnastics I, there, but holy moly. I reckon to your point as well, Hod, that when you have success, people are more than happy to restructure their pay and take cuts. So it's a little bit of a gamble in terms of if we're successful, then we can get people to, to make those changes. But, mm. oh, sorry, go hot before we move on. Uh, and, that's, and that's why last year's Super Bowl win was so important for the Rams because they invested all of their draft capital. They had none and put it all into players for that season. So it's, it's paid off for them. Absolutely. All right. Speaking of uh, taking risks and gambles, let's move on to some trade news from our league. Uh, heaps of trades have gone down. In fact, cool. we're going to just power through them and let's talk to the ones that we think maybe have some interesting ramifications behind it. Let's start with the one that kicked off at the end of the draft, uh, our rookie draft, and that was Papa getting in Justin Fields and a 25 first from Jimmer for Cooper Cup, who we spoke about just before. So, um, for a long time, Pat, uh, Jim put it out there that his 25 first was off the table and he never sort of revealed what it was for. And then this, um, this was all revealed for Justin Fields, which was the fourth overall pick in the rookie draft the previous year, I think. So what are some thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think uh, as we touched on earlier, Papa's intention was... In, in well, intention over the offseason has been pretty clearly signaled from the get go off the back of this trade. Um, you know, Fields in a 2025 first, Cooper Cup. I think it's a great sell from Papa, who's selling Cooper Cup at a pretty high point in his career, clearly had, had a monster yeah. fantasy season. season. Are, you pay, are you paying for past production? Eh? Is he going to do it again? Um, time will tell. But the probably the most fascinating component of this trade is the mindset around sort of Jim's team. And clearly he thinks, you know, Cooper Cup's obviously going to help his team, but is it going to be enough to to get him into the playoffs? He hasn't made playoffs the first two years and um, he clearly thinks that his team's sort of ready to to get there and compete. So I think in totality, totality if, you, if you just separate the two assets, it looks reasonably fair on paper, I would think. I, I personally <laughs> would lean towards the field side because I, I think the value of having a young QB is um, can only grow. Uh, but with that said, there's some 
question marks on fields and Chicago haven't done anything in this offseason to help him at all. So I don't know. Do, do we like, there's no guarantee fields is going to be there next year or if, in two years time. So look, it's a fascinating trade. I'll stop talking. Hod, what do you think? Yeah, it'd be really good to get Jim on and talk about his evaluation of fields. Cause I've heard he's the best of the bunch, which is an interesting take on that draft class. Mm. Um, but given the years last year, no one's really um, stuck out. So uh, it's interesting, though, with Jim, I think this trade rests a lot on Jalen Hurts um, because if he's a really good player um, that the Eagles stick by, I think it's it might work um, and obviously built on really the success Jim has this coming season. Um, but, yeah, Rogers does obviously doesn't have uh, long left, so I think that's a real key differentiator in this one. But I'm just looking at the draft picks of... Jim's squad, the Jim City Stallions, and he's got he's got four 2024 fourths. So we we can see what he likes, <laughs> and then fourth. his 2025 uh, plethora of picks. He's got a second and a fourth left. So jump in, fellas. He's he's hasn't got many left. Um, so yeah, will he have just, uh, will he have any picks left by the end of this season at the rate he's going? Um, so what's that? Six picks in total up to the 2025 draft. Three, three seasons. That's not much. Yeah. I, can I just say, Hot, I reckon you've absolutely nailed the key part of this trade. Getting Cooper Cup in signifies that you think you're a contender or can compete and win the division. Yep. He has Aaron Rodgers and Jalen Hurts and nothing else. If, <laughs> if, if there's a QB injury... Um, certainly in bye weeks um, and QB uncertainty in the future, it is a high-risk manoeuvre to remove a QB when you've only got two for a wide receiver that's 29. And I've just seen something interesting. When is the playoffs? What weeks? 14, 15. Uh, or did it move it back changed, with the extra it? week? Yeah. Four, yeah, 14, 15, 16. Let, well... That's interesting because well, Aaron 15, Rogers, 16, 15, 15, 16, 17. I'd, I'd want to hope that because Rogers has a buy in week 14. <laughs> no, it'd so be week 15 then. It'd have to be, surely. But yeah, uh, that would yeah. be stiff. It'll be a very interesting uh, season yeah. for the Jim's Italians for sure. All right. Well, let's let's go through. I mean, we're talking about Jim an awful lot here, but fair enough because he's done a fair bit between the rookie draft. So then a couple more or three more trades that he's gone. A couple of. Uh, <laughs> couple of trades here that signify his intentions, absolutely. J.D. McKissick from Jake for a 24-third and A.J. Green uh, to Papa for a 23-fourth. And then the other one here, which is pretty interesting, he's gone with Scoot, Kenny G and Paris Campbell, Jim Getz, for a 24-third and a 25-third. Um, so a lot of what Jim's doing there. What You brought up a good point, Hod, of uh, that Kenny G trade. What are your thoughts there? Um. Yeah, so it's not really to do with um, Jim so much, but it's it's just the fall from grace. Um, so if you look at that trade, it's really Kenny G for a 24-third. This guy was the pick 310 in the startup draft. Um, mm. So he's really fallen away. I don't know if anyone can get up the I've, starter draft. I've it's got it here in front of me in anticipation. What receivers went around. Um, so but the- I'm sure that receivers are worth a bit more than a 24-third at the moment. Here are some players um, that went around 
Kenny G. The 309 just before him, Mike Evans, yep. Uh, the 311, the pick after, Austin Eckler. Um, at the 402 was Mark Andrews. That's gone up a fair bit in value, I would have thought. Uh, DK Metcalf at the 404. Uh, Josh Allen at the 405. That was a ridiculous one too. So, I mean, you, we could do this all day with the startup draft, but just like around that vicinity, um, you would say that I've picked out... Now, I've left out players like Calvin Ridley was the 312, Juju the 401, Allen Robinson the 403. So there's some players there that have also probably taken a step back in value, but that's a fair fall from grace. Um to be picked around there in the startup and then, like you said, for essentially a 24-third rookie pick. Yep. Yeah. I, for mine, this is um, – I like this trade for Jim. I, you're telling me Kenny Golladay and Paris Campbell are the same value. I can't get my head around that at all. Um, doesn't make a lot of sense. And for mine, like what's wrong with seeing how Kenny G goes in this new New, new York offense first before trading him before the season start? Like I, I think that is rock bottom – value for Kenny Golladay. Like he could have a, a bounce back year for sure this year. Um, so I, I like that value for Jim, getting him onto the roster. I think he could be a sneaky upside play this year. Yep. Oh, I left this one off. This is Jim getting a fourth round pick back. So this is him going the opposite way and getting a pick instead. But it was a fourth round there and he loves those. So that was you, Hod, getting Donald Parham off him for a 24 fourth. Um, clearly Jim, what, paid up a second for him and thought after one season, I don't like you, I'm going to get a fourth back in return. <laughs> Interesting uh, there, but when he, I guess when he knows, he knows. He doesn't like Donald Parham. He's off him. I, yeah, I just, just don't. Who, who was the tight end one for the Chargers last year? Would have been Jared Cook, but they've now got Gerald Everett. Yeah, yeah so oh, like, I'm, oh yeah, Joe, yeah. Uh, like, so Jared, Jared Cook. Cook. Yeah, I, I think you know Jim did give up more than what he got back, but it was also to see if Parham could excel in a really good offense. So he could have been a lot more value had he taken advantage of that. Um, and then now I'm just willing to see if it can go one more year because Gerald Everett's okay. Um, but I don't think he's going to be a star or anything. So I was, I'm willing to see how that goes. Yep. Um, next trade here was myself picking up Brady and Kelsey from Papa, Ooh. who got TJ Hawkinson a 24 second, a 25 first, and a 25 second off me. What are your thoughts, boys? Don't be so monotone. This is an absolute blockbuster. What are we? Give it some fucking airtime, mate. Gee whiz. Brady and Kelsey, too. Like for mine, it's the classic Papa wins value, but Ben wins upside in terms of can he win a ring off the back of Kelsey and Mahomes stack? together going nuts um which is clearly possible given what we've seen um i think you paid a fair price for in terms of i think you probably play paid overs personally but to get them you have to and that's reality so a win-win in terms of the direction both teams are going for mine pod yeah no i can't add much more it's just who knows this time next year ben might be uh i'll trade you brady and kelsey for a ring (laughs) <laughs> Correct, and that's the, that's the name of the game, mate. So I, I I see the I see the appeal with this trade for Ben, and I clearly see it for Papa too. Who's it works? And we were talking off air about when you make a trade, like looking at what both teams need and what suits both teams, and and where the direction their team's going. This one's a classic example of that. Sure is. Yeah. Um, oh, just sorry, I'll just add one more thing. With like Hawkinson's a, a nice piece. Um, sort of to get back for losing Kelsey in the same position. Uh, it'll just depend. They've obviously added 
a little bit there in the wide receiver stocks at Detroit. Um, that doesn't necessarily suggest Hawkinson's going to get more opportunities. It probably says less, but um, yeah, he's probably underwhelmed to be honest since being what the 10th pick in that draft, which is awfully high for a tight end. And he hasn't really seen the jumps of the, the, I mean, the opportunities or targets that the elite tight ends get. Yeah. And I would have thought that with Jared Goff, not really throwing the ball downfield an awful lot that he would have benefited from having a quarterback like that. And he had an okay season. It wasn't anything spectacular. And uh, speaking of Hawk, boys, I reckon we go to the next trade involving Hawk because then Pappas flipped him out for Calvin Ridley, Adam Troutman, a 2023 third and a 2025 first. So it's loading up on the 25s. Um, just stocking up again on, on more picks. Troutman, obviously, a younger tight end, probably well, only a couple of years younger than Hawk, but and obviously hasn't done as done a whole lot yet in New Orleans. But is another one where I can see the appeal here for Papa, who's probably thinking, "Look, I'm going to load up the next couple of years." Ridley's. I don't really mind how I go this year. I probably don't think I'm going to be winning the division. So Ridley's a play for next year and beyond. Um, in what could be a pretty dynamic Atlanta offense offense in a couple of years. So interesting little flippo. So speaking of flippos, I've just put in that net net. So Pappas for Brady and Kelsey, Pappas got Calvin Ridley, Troutman, 2023 third, 2025 first, 2024 second, 2025 first, 2025 second. When mm. you put it like that, Big. it seems like a lot. Um, He's so, done Yep, agree that he has done extremely well with that. But this is sort of a bit of what we were saying, like knowing what your team is and knowing when to cash out. And I suppose the the beauty of cashing out early compared to other teams is that you can start to do stuff like this and target teams who are willing to spend. So I was in a bidding war apparently um, in that trade. I don't know how much truth there is to that. Papa swears that I was in a bidding war. So that was my maximum offer. I was trying to get some pick swaps going on in there. But you know what? At the end of the day, like you said, Keeney, if it meant that I secured um, a solid backup QB and the stack of Kelsey Mahomes, I was happy to do it. I just want to add, um, so Camo is obviously throwing himself right up the top end of the league for this coming season. Um, I just wonder if that Hawkinson trade is is trying to marvel your two squads, boys, because um, you're obviously strong in the tight end areas, uh, obviously with Pitts, yourself, Keeney, and a couple of, well, Albert O is a bit of a wild card, but with Russell Wilson there, who knows? Um, and then obviously Kelsey and Kittle is a huge stack there at that position. So I just wonder, because um, Kummer didn't have a lot there, to be honest, with the tight ends. So adding Hawkinson obviously helps a little bit um, minimising that gap at the top mm. echelon of teams in the in the um, comp. He's got Gerald Everett too, which might work out all right with Herbert. Gerald who? It's Parham. Parham, baby. <laughs> Sorry. He's got Noah Fant, doesn't he? And Noah um, Fant, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that to be honest, but uh, it could make a little bit of sense. And just to just to finish this off, I think uh, with with Papa, as you touched on Ben, making that move early to okay, let's start looking into twenty twenty five and be one of the first teams to do that. He now controls that twenty twenty five draft. Like he's got four first rounders already, um, and there's not many other first rounders to go around in that year. So. He sort of holds the upper upper hand um, in that draft, and as you touched on earlier, hold with him having picks in the next year and the year after. 
Um, it's, it gives you some really good flexibility and in, in insulated value as well. So I think he's heading in the right direction. He's finally listening to us, boys. Mm. All right. Well, speaking of those 2025 firsts, this one was thrown around. A trade with yourself, Keeney. You uh, got in Baker Mayfield, a 23 third, a 24 first, and two 24 seconds. And you got rid of Cousins, a 25 first and a 25 second there. So taking on the risk with Baker um, for a pretty reliable QB in Cousins. He's not a sexy name, but he gets the job done. Um, give us some of your thinking behind that. Can I just ask first, Kenny, there before you go into it, uh, is this Baker situation for you, are you looking at him staying with the Browns potentially with this looming suspension or were you just banking on him signing with another team and having a future somewhere else? Yeah, that was, yeah, I was banking on him signing somewhere else. I think he's no chance to stay at Cleveland, to be honest. Um, And yeah, I sort of bought into... Um. Yeah, it's it's he's not a sexy name to own right now, but I just bought into he was pretty banged up last year. Um, if he gets an opportunity, I'd love him to go to Carolina. If I'm being honest, um, and um, if he does that, I think his value can go up and have a better year next year. And as sort of my fourth QB, I don't mind that taking on that risk, grabbing a f- moving my first from 25 into 24, added a couple of seconds on top. Sort of that was the motivation of of the deal. But and and for Jake, it's Jake's got Derek Carr and he needed that second one. And Baker, you, you don't want Baker as your second QB. So for him to upgrade that to someone who's going to play every week, and now Jake's in a in a window to contend again, which I think Jake's really good at doing is is reloading every year and being in that in that frame of contention. Um, that makes sense for him too. Uh, yeah, actually, um, can we just flip this around, Benny? I might actually transition to the trade Jake and I had because that's a really good segue there. Until Jake approached me with this trade, I didn't actually realise how sneaky his team is. Um, hmm. Got quite a good squad. If he can get through the first six weeks without Hopkins, um, if he can get through that pretty good three and three, four and two, he'll be really well set up for this coming year, which, um, yeah, which, which we'll go into this trade now. So he approached me for Schultz um, and we settled on Fryer Muth and uh, Jalen Tolbert. So I'll just give my quick take on that. Um, Schultz is obviously uh, has gets a plethora of targets in the top five offense, so he's, he's a great one to have um, for a contending team. And for me, I've, I've always liked Frymuth. Um, I thought the quarterback stuff is a little um, – we'll see how that goes, but I think even if Pickett comes in, the tight end is usually the security blanket for a young quarterback. Uh, so and Frymouth is a touchdown machine. So if he can just up the opportunities with targets, I think he can turn into a pretty nice piece um, at that position. And, and Tolbert, he's he's a mature age recruit, and I just liked having him behind Gallup um, in my squad. So it sort of made sense. Yep. Any thoughts? Yep. No, I agree with what you're saying about Jake. I mean, there's a few like you pointed out. The the QB position is pretty thin. He's gonna just be hoping for no injuries out of Carr or Cousins there because, what, he's got Heineke and Locke as his two backups there. Not saying that they're completely out of the question, but you don't want to be relying on them. So, yeah, he's got an interesting team um, and one that we've seen that, you know, lists that if they stay healthy, you can compete. So um, it'll be interesting to see what he does there. Any thoughts, Keeney? Yeah, good 
good trade for both teams here. And interesting from a dynasty ranking point of view, obviously Frymuth is a couple of years younger than Schultz, but I think they're closer than you think from a dynasty rank because Frymuth sort of had that first year one, um, I wouldn't say breakout, but he caught a lot of touchdowns and showed that he was good enough at the level. So to have that young sort of 23-year-old tight end on the roster is pretty valuable. And Schultz, as you touched on, is in a good offense. Amari Cooper goes, so Cedric Wilson goes. So um, he could have an increase in, in targets there in Dallas. So um, I think uh, makes sense for both teams. And you're right about Jake. I looked at it the other day too going, motherfucker, he's like, he's still there and he's got enough good pieces to contend and, and get in and, and win and challenge. Yep. Uh, speaking of a person who's just, these are the last two trades we'll touch on, a person who's just been shaping their team once again in the offseason, that's Camo. He's gone ahead and picked up Garrett Wilson, who was picked at the, where was he in the rookie draft? Fourth, fifth, somewhere that, around that range? Uh, he slipped, slipped a little seven. bit. Oh, he slipped seven to seven. Eight. Okay. So still the highly touted uh, player for Davis Mills in a 23 seconds. So he hasn't given up an awful lot there. He's obviously played into the hand that Manny needs that QB help. And it's worked out all right for him because Manny had that many draft picks that he ended up drafting 57 wide receivers, I think it was in total. Um, something of that nature. It was ridiculous. So very nice trade there. I think he's done extremely well. And then finally, he's gone and just shored up his wide receiver room again with trading Scoot. Um so he gave Scoot his 23 first and a 25 second for DJ Moore, who used to be on your mm. list, Keeney. So he was part of the Devontae Adams, um, Dalvin Cook trade. So yep. uh, what do we think there about what Camo's doing? Well, I, I want to touch on the first one, the Garrett Wilson, Davis Mills trade. Now, we often catch up on a Monday night to grab a little feed down at the local. I think this one was a very polarizing discussion when we talked about it the other night um sort of sides of the coin here with with this trade my my viewpoint personally is that i think this trade could have been done later when garrett wilson the hype around him had risen um and therefore we maybe could have got a little bit more value for him but for the for mine, the discussion point around this one is Manny clearly still needs some QB help. But is this it's very hard to go from zero to top twelve QB. Is this a bridge? So now he can have Davis Mills to flip to someone else for a better QB with a lot of his wide receivers now. It's a two step process for him, I think, to go from zero to, you know, like a Derek Carr or someone in that range, or maybe a little bit better. Um, and this is the first of those two steps. Yeah, I won't add too much on this. Uh, my mind goes to, did Camo cash in here on Garrett Wilson at a pretty nice time when you draft so many wide receivers? Maybe Garrett Wilson didn't seem of huge value to Manny at the time, given how many quality receivers he's got on his list. Uh, and the second one, uh, I'm more interested on DJ Moore. He's been um, a much maligned player by someone in this league, hasn't he? I believe Papa <laughs> may have... Did Papa uh, get into Scoot's be... head? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, I just wonder, yeah, what Papa's thoughts on this trade would be uh, when we get him on. Just just flag that one, boys. Um, yeah. yeah. Big, big thoughts. So here's, I'm with you in that he's cashed in at a nice time because Manny drafted that many wide receivers. So he's basically 
taken his pick because when you draft them all together, where they fall and where you draft them, he had that many first-round picks. He's gone Drake London, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, uh, Christian Watson, Sky Moore. So he's just basically said, well, you've got this pool of wide receivers. You need a QB. Here's Davis Mills. I'll take one of them off your hands. It's not a bad way to do it. Uh, and I agree with you, Keeney, that I think that Manny looks at this now. He's got... Um, he drafted Malik Willis as well, so now he's got some QBs to flip to upgrade as well because I, I think that's how QB trades are going to go down, that if you want to trade a QB, there needs to be a QB in return just because they're so scarce. So having them and having someone who's startable uh, is a good stepping stone in a future trade. Yeah, and just quickly before we move on, I think the other element to this is because there was such a cluster of wide receivers in this draft which i think we all touched on it's like we we look we mocked garrett wilson at number two because there's so we we thought they were very very even about four or five or six of them yep so for camo then to just pick off one of them that in like in all reality if steve took this bloke three there's no way this deal's going down but because he slid to eight it's almost it feels palatable because he's got so many other options and he slid to eight so he's he's "Quote unquote value isn't as high as what it maybe could have been if someone else picked him at three. So I just think that's a that's a fascinating element to this trade. And um, yeah, we'll look back on this one in a couple of months, I reckon, and and wonder what who won it. Yeah, well, I've gone. Um, I've just reached out to the DFF to get his opinions on whether Camo's done well here, uh, and he had this to say: "The flowers blossom in spring, face always and forever." <laughs> <laughs> the DFS insight there into how these players can mature mm-hmm. and increase in value. Um, speaking of, cool. let's let's get on to our rookie draft recap, shall we? So, the DFF, he was the much talked about beginning of the draft. As much as Manny held just about the entire first round, Steph had picks one and two. He didn't let anyone down by taking Brees Hall at pick one, but... Boys, at the 102, Kenny Pickett. The guy with small hands. Went at the 102. <laughs> what do we think about that? We mentioned Kenny Pickett before with uh, his landing spot, but what do, we, do we reckon the DFF has uh, jumped the guns here? I know we know Scooter's opinion on it, if you've been following him in the chat. I reckon he's got a few things to say about where he took him. Uh, what do we think? Well, in hindsight, I think... It's easy to see if you just take a step back, take a breath, you can actually see what he was trying to do here. He made his intention clear when he traded up to pick two. If you actually think about it, as you touched on Ben, I reckon at the time, the only sort of position you do that for is QB in this draft. So the fact that he then took Kenny Pickett makes it easy to see in hindsight. But um, look, if he's, he made his reasons on the pod live. Uh, last week in terms of he was the only QB taken in the first round, first two rounds um, of the actual NFL draft, and he's going to get an opportunity to start and therefore increase in value. So uh, don't mind it. And he was clearly concerned that Steve was going to um, take, take him if he didn't and he wouldn't get to four. The most fascinating part was he moved up to two to almost scare Steve into trading up to two in front of him. So we can we can go into that a bit further if we need to. But that I kind of want to the DFF's I, best mind mind tricks ever. I do want to go into that because how do you you can't hold someone over a barrel that has 
uh, the rest of the first round in terms of picks. I don't think he was that worried. I mean, he said on the pod he wasn't that worried, but that's the sort of shit you do if Manny only has maybe one or two first round picks and he's a little bit, doesn't have that flexibility. But the fact that he held the entire first round and he could have taken Malik Willis at any point, it's uh yeah, it's a bold strategy that Steph's gone with and it kind of backfired a little bit on him. Uh, what are your thoughts, Hod? Yeah, it's just exactly that. I'm looking at just some dynasty rankings here and it obviously depends on where you're at with your list and player values, but there are not many that are below Pickett from that first round in all positions. And then if you want to compare him to the other quarterbacks taken, which are obviously much later, they're not too far behind him, which is interesting given he's the only first-round quarterback First or second round, actually. And then uh, he's obviously got the best opportunity to start right away, yet the dynasty community is not valuing that in the rankings because, yeah, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, even Sam Howe, they're, they're not too far behind him, which is very interesting given where he took him in the draft. Yep. Makes for a fascinating watch there uh, because... I mean, you mentioned as well, Keeney, that his other QBs are no certainties by any means. He's got Zach Wilson, who still has a bit to prove. He's got Trey Lance. There's a lot of talk there about what's going to go on. Uh, Uncertainty with Jimmy Garoppolo. Sam Darnold's arguably just done at this point. Um, So this could be another QB that goes to the DFF and career is over before it began. But that is a, uh, a, a bit of a stretch. But... We'll have, we'll have to know. get the great man on at some point. I thought he was good on the pod uh, last episode, boys. I thought he was fantastic. So I'm looking forward to getting him back on. Well, hopefully we can get more sound grabs out of him. Uh, on the draft. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it, it will be good to get him on and we'll see if he can blossom like all the flowers. <laughs> that he well, speaking of blossoming, this bloke will want all of his picks to do so. And that was Manny's draft night here. I'm just going to run you through. This is what he added to his list from the draft. Malik Willis, Kenneth Walker, Drake London, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Greg Dolchich, I don't even know how you say his name, Christian Watson, Sky Moore, and Bailey Zapp. Um, some very highly rated picks there, obviously in the wide receiver department, and then some nice little dart throws that he's taken with his QB at Malik Willis. And uh, like we said, probably two of the wide receivers who based on where they got drafted in real life, have the biggest upside, and that's Christian Watson and Sky Moore. So I like some of the dart throws that he's made here. It's a genuine starting lineup almost, isn't it? And um, it was always going to go a couple of ways for Manny. Was he going to try and sell out and um, and grab him, grab established players? And by the sounds of things, that's what he wanted to do. But he ended up sitting tight, making his picks, taking best available basically at every spot in the first round. Um, and probably the, the the biggest talking point out of his whole draft was his decision to take Malik Willis at one twelve, which was always going to be a fascinating moment in terms of where he got taken. But uh, all in all, he's you know jam packed, loaded his roster with some more wide receivers that for him um, he hopes increases in values, and no doubt his plan is to then flip them off as soon or flip them out as soon as he can. I wonder if Manny got, uh, you know, the real GM sort of flavours on draft night and just snuck him in that first round so he gets that fifth year in the negotiation. <laughs> It'll be uh, interesting to watch how that 
that goes. But uh, yeah, lo- love the draft. I mean, those wide receivers, I know this draft wasn't talked up, but I obviously was involved and did a lot of research. These receivers, there, there's a lot of good ones. There wasn't the great prospects, but they can definitely develop into great ones. And fantasy, as we know, is it's a numbers game. So if he hits on two, maybe three of these ones that I'm looking at right here, he's going to be in a really good position. Yeah, we'll look at the last two uh, rookie drafts in Justin Jefferson and um, buddy Matt's Blake, Jamar Chase. Chase. I mean, look at the value that you could get for those blokes now. Um, both after their rookie season, you could have pretty much just named your price and got what you wanted. So all he needs is one or two of those blokes to come through, uh, and he's laughing. And I'll tell you what, boys, can we just take a moment to reflect? And I would have loved a GoPro in the room, but when Steve Mann arrived on draft night at Scooter's house and the DFF said, come my way into this room, I want to talk trade with you, and Steve basically said, I'm not interested. I would have just loved to see the DFF's reaction to that conversation <laughs> when, when and he how made, it went down. When he made the trade with you, Hod, how long before the draft was that? Was it about a week or two weeks before? Which, sorry, which for trade? The, for the 102. Yeah, it was about a week, wasn't it? Four or five days. Oh, sorry, Steph. Sorry, Steph, I yeah, yeah sorry, Steph. What? Um. Yeah, not yeah. A week before, so he's and, he's uh, waited a full week, and then Manny has rocked up late. He made him wait probably an extra like four hours, all the whole yeah. time he had this grand plan to be shut down within minutes. And I don't. <laughs> he clearly wouldn't have talked to Steve before that. <laughs> and it, it was a grand plan because he came at me with a very uh, strong desire to get that pick so it was all part of this grand scheme of things hey i know keeney you asked for you know it would have been great to have a gopro i actually set up a microphone in the room um just to capture some of the audio and and this is pretty much the only part of the conversation that went down that steph uh when he cornered manny in that room he just approached him with this yeah now he's trying to i'll trade you a ring for digsie (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah that was that was his approach to that um, another interesting one, we just looking here at Manny's draft night. And this is part of our first round review. A bloke who doesn't rate running backs, his first pick off the board was a running back. So I don't know if we touched on this in our drunken recap of the, the pod, mm. but Kenneth Walker, obviously, I know that Manny said basically a running back at that team is a little too hard to uh, pass up there just because of how much they love to u- use them. And then obviously the Chris Carson news is not looking great, uh, which probably speaks to your... Rashad Penny trade this morning, Keeney. Um, but yeah, well, like what do you think that this is just opportunity was too good or is this Manny turning a new leaf on his team philosophy? Well, he did ring his mother in fairness beforehand to get the all clear. <laughs> uh, I think reality hits that he's got to take one at some point and there was two clear standouts in this draft and he's he had to grab one of them. It'd be almost malpractice if he didn't, given sort of what his roster looks like now. Um, so for mine, it made sense that he grabbed one of them with hey, one of his early picks. Hod, just as an interesting little hypothetical, if he didn't take him there and he took a wide receiver at the three and you're sitting there at four, obviously your list probably not at a point where running backs are a crucial need. Would you have taken Kenneth Walker if he was there? Uh, I, I really like Kenneth Walker 
for my list at the time with Penny, I didn't want to double up on that position and team. Um, so, no, I wouldn't have. Uh, I think we were talking off air. Uh, Keeney, you mentioned if I would have taken Kenny Pickett had he fell to four. Um, that's probably more a discussion. Um, yeah. Given, what's- given that you had the Dak Prescott, Stefan Diggs trade lined up, already cleared for runway, we really just wanted to hold that to see the Prestige <laughs> Worldwide's reaction. ring for Diggsy. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the reaction. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that, that, no, to answer your question on that, uh, I've sort of had in my mind Matt Jones or Diggs moving forward versus Dak and Traylon Burks, uh, or oh, I didn't know which receiver it would be, but I was pre- pretty heavily leaning on a receiver at that position, um, to sort of start, uh, or have, have the pick of the bunch for those receivers there. So no, I would, I wouldn't have taken him, um, to answer your question. Which is fair enough because... The guy with small hands. Um, <laughs> <laughs> enough reason why you wouldn't take him. Um, uh, what I will say, boys, is Kenny Pickett is copping a lot of flack early. I tell you who copped a lot of flack early this time last year was Jamar Chase. So true. We, uh, we don't know where this is going to go. He's in a great position with his head coach and stable franchise there. So he... He, uh, yeah, it's all noise at the moment. So we're, we're just, this is a bit of entertainment value, I think. It is. And the other, we touched on entertainment value, but the whole Dixie trade setup was some definite entertainment value, maybe just for me and you, Hod. But we actually did get a reaction to what Matt thought of that trade afterwards, Ben. I think you've got it. Well, I won a ring last year, so like, kind of what ifs. But. Oh, what do you mean, yeah. kind of whatevs? You just what do you mean, whatevs? I fucking won. <laughs> There's no whatevs about it, son. You said whatevs. I said whatevs, and you challenged my whatevs, and I counted with my whatevs. <laughs> you finished. Oh. Keep Jesus. going. Back to my whatevs. <laughs> whatevs. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, Clearly shit. not affected by the trade at all. Nah, not even bothered in the slightest. Ben, Ben, Ben. Um, <laughs> <laughs> these are gonna, these are gonna feature heavily for the whole season. I have no doubt about it. Um, all right, just quickly. I mean, we've touched on the first round a fair bit. Uh, outside of all of those wide receivers that Manny's taken, um, a couple of interesting picks here. Jamison Williams well, to uh, Benny. Can I let me just do a little exercise here Go um, for this first round? I'm going to read them all out, one to twelve, and then you guys just give your favourite pick of the draft because we're going to obviously dial into these a bit with the teams. Yep. Um, so does that sound right? Do it. 101, Brees Hall, Kenny Pickett, Ken Walker, Traylon Burks, Drake London, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson, Christian Watson, Sky Moore, receiver after receiver, James Cook at the 11 to scoot, and then Manny rounding it out with Malik Willis. So I'll start with Keeney, looks ready to go. What uh, what pick jumped out for you, whether it's value, um, situation, or just impact on that team that drafted him? What are you thinking? 
Um, the 207, uh, sorry, the 107, Jamison Williams to Scooter's team. I really like that pick. He was um, one of my favorite receivers in this draft. I made some inquiries to get into the first round to probably grab him. Um, but I just like it for Scoot, and I like that Detroit are likely to get a new QB next year. So um, no shade on Jared Goff, but I just think that Detroit Detroit organization knows where they're going, and he's a big part of it. Um, so I really like that, that pick, and I think it works perfectly for Scoot's timeline in Dynasty. So really like it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And it, it's going to be interesting playing out. Obviously, Scoot had the one pick in between Manny's four receivers back to back. So <laughs> can he outproduce them all in the long run? Will be a very interesting watch. And when you see that war room footage of the the Lions when they were a bit worried about the Saints trading up ahead of them, I think that says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, that was cool. I don't know if you guys have seen that video, but. Cool. It is awesome. They, that's how much they were set on getting Jameson Williams there. So that I think that always says a lot for what a team does. One that stands out for me, I mean, there's two that I really like, but I'll go with uh, Chris Alave here, who was the pick just before Jameson Williams. And that really just talking about what it, uh, what teams do, I think, says a lot. And the Saints, they love to trade up in the draft, but they traded up, I think, to get to number 16, first of all, and then they traded up again to get to number 11. So they've given up a shitload of capital to get this bloke. Um, and for Manny, whose first startup pick was Mike Thomas, um, I, I think I really like this pick. I think this bloke could be very, very handy. Um, and it's a nice little insurance play. Not that that should mean a lot, but I think um, just in terms of what the Saints did in real life, I think this was mm. a very nice pick in the middle of that first. And you touch on Michael Thomas, and that's probably most of the reason why I also like this pick is because there is a lot too many... There's too many whispers going around that I'm hearing that he <laughs> is not even close to being ready for week one, which is a real concern. So... Uh, Alave could step into a big workload early, Hod. Oh, a lot too many. Well, <laughs> I knew that's what you were Matt, <laughs> Maddie had a lot too many picks in the first, but I, I'll tell you who's going to feature again here is Scoot. I really liked James Cook, and I was, uh, yeah, pretty disappointed with because having the 201, 2 and 3 and seeing at the 111, James Cook and Malik Willis were still there. My eyes were. Lighting up, but James Cook, I think, is a really nice pick there. I don't think there's much in front of him in Buffalo, and if you can put a pass catching, which is a cheat code in running backs, into one of the best offenses in the league, uh, and there's even talk he could be a slot receiver for them with Cole Beasley leaving, I think that's a tremendous value at the 111. Uh, obviously, at a position that maybe doesn't suit. Scoot's timeline, but I just think the value there for that player uh, could be immense. Yeah, that's sort of what I wanted to touch on there. And a big part of drafting is opportunity cost. Now, question to you, Hod, would you, if you're Scooter, would you take James Cook over Malik Willis? Because that's what he ended up doing. Uh, I wouldn't because it probably talks to some later picks from me. I, I liked a lot of skill positions later in the draft but stacked some quarterbacks for that reason. <clears throat> um, yeah, so it's it's a really tough one because, as I said, I think the, the value for Cook is immense there, but obviously the value for quarterbacks 
in this format is huge. Uh, you both got your hands up, boys. What, what do I, I do I want to speak. I want to speak. No, I think the I reckon part of the James Cook over Malik Willis is because Desmond Ritter was sitting there at the 204 for Scoot to take. So I think that was a big part. I reckon he liked both of them. Probably felt that one of them would have made it back to him at the fourth pick in the second, which probably gave him more flexibility to take James Cook, who I think, I'm with you, will appreciate a fair bit in value, and he could flip him depending on where his list's at. The most interesting wrinkle of all of this, though, is if Scooter took Malik Willis, then Manny would have to take one of the other QBs probably took, in his takes division. Ritter, yeah. Probably takes Ritter. Otherwise, he doesn't have a pick till the 404. So yeah. just like a little in-division wrinkle there, like if he rips the best QB off the board, the second-best QB off the board in a team in his division that desperately no, the needs best, QBs, the best. that's something you look at. Yeah. Uh, in my... <clears throat> dealings with Manny on the night. Um, I'm pretty sure he had, yeah, Ritter and Willis pretty close. So I think it fell the way he would have liked with Willis over Ritter. But, um, yeah, he was still keen on Ritter and thinks pretty highly of him, I I believe. All right. And just a last little bit of a recap of our draft. We're talking QBs a fair bit, and I think this is just an interesting exercise. In the first round of our rookie draft, you go Kenny Pickett at the beginning, the second pick, Malik Willis at the 12th pick. Then we go Matt Corral in the second. He's the only, oh sorry Desmond Ritter and Matt Corral in the second, taken there. Matt uh, Sam Howell in the third is the only QB, and then a couple of dart throws in the fourth, and that's Bailey Zapp and Carson Strong. Do we think that this is probably going to be one of the few times, if ever, that this few uh, or these few QBs are taken in the first round? Only two taken compared to I reckon last year there was five or four. Um, Obviously, the NFL draft was a bit different as well in terms of the stocks that teams were putting in. But, um, yeah, I mean, we keep saying it, that QBs are pretty rare and there's only 32 starters. uh, And probably from that, only 15 to 20 reliable blokes to have on your list. Uh, What do you think? Is this going to be an absolute outlier in years to come? Well, I think think so. And I think the major point there is that, you know, you look through historically at the numbers and often that first round pedigree attached to the player is a big deal in in fantasy. So the fact that there was only one sort of <coughs> speaks to that, I think. Um, there's, a, there's obviously been a few outliers in history with Dak and Russell Wilson, the main two, um, but typically you, you want to see that first round pedigree from a team. Yeah, I think as well the same. And, and this was what, sort of scared me a little bit leading up to the draft with a player like Desmond Ritter is he hasn't had much in front of him. So it's appealing to get him in, but then he really has to make this coming season and the opportunities that he gets, he has to make a huge impression because I don't think Atlanta, I think they're going to be picking high again. And what's going to stop them thinking this next quarterback class, which has four legitimate star potential players What's going to stop them from picking one of them really high and then making Ritter a little bit expendable again? So I think the power of the draft is huge. And, yeah, it is pretty slim in this one. But, yeah, like one that comes to mind is I think it was was a long time ago, but I think Jake Locker was one of the first picks of 2014 or something. Um, So, yeah, we're obviously a long time before we were doing any Superflex formats, but... Yeah, I, th- I think you are. You guys are right in saying it. It'll be the outlier for sure. Yeah, well, and there's also first a lot of first round 
QBs that have been that have done nothing. I mean, Paxton Lynch is one that always stands out to me. Um, who was the bloke who the Texas A&M QB went to Cowboys? He went the first round. Manziel, Johnny Manziel. I mean, there's a lot of those blokes who didn't really amount to anything and very few that do pass the first round, but it will be an interesting uh, exercise to see. All right. I think considering we were recapping a draft that happened a few weeks ago, we've done well to make it over an hour and you've done well if you're still listening to us at this point. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to... 66% 66% of an unwell podcast here, but we've we've hung on, Hod. You're, you're looking in okay spirits there. Um, hopefully hanging in there. Now, future podcasts coming up, we will be deep diving into some team reviews. So there's that to look forward to where we're going to pick apart the list. Now, we might leave Camos till the very end because his list will probably be entirely different by the time we pick it apart to the start of the season. So plenty to look forward to. Absolutely, and we'll get we'll get a few different voices on the podcast too. I think that always helps um, breaking down the team from their point of view. But uh, it's been good to be back, boys. It's been a couple of weeks, a little hiatus, but uh, my response to that is whatevs. Hot? What if? Yeah, it'll be uh, nice to yeah. Hopefully, be a hundred percent fit and healthy for the next one. Uh, Benny Keeney's really holding up the health. He's a picture of health, this man. Uh, but it was uh, it was good to jump back on and just share some insights into this league. I think the league's in a a lot healthier spot with the sound grabs and moving forward <laughs> after that infamous draft night. It's um, obviously one of the best on the calendar, and hopefully next year we get everyone there because it's uh, the league is firing on all cylinders following it. So good to be back, boys. Enjoyed it. No sign off. Uh, podcast over and out. Uh, Snotty. <laughs> <laughs>